0: Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, I can call him Betty. And Betty, when he calls me, you can call him Al. If that makes any sense, it's Mr. (laughs) Jeff McClodger.
1: I've got diamonds in the soles of my shoes. Uh, It makes sense (laughs) to me. Hey, man, how's it going?
0: I'm great. I I had a a weird incident this, like, last weekend. My friend, Kai, we were going to go out for brunch. Yes. And... Um, They had suggested this diner out like it was kind of like at a halfway point between my house and theirs Mm -hmm. And when we got there, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning when we got there It was over an hour wait like that place was Banging right And it was like one of those like old-fashioned steel diners, you know, yeah Yeah, there's no way. I'm gonna wait an hour for food. I'm like hungry now. I skipped breakfast on purpose, you know, right? So By the time right we get seated, it's going to be
1: lunch. It's not even going to be brunch anymore.
0: Right, right. So right down the street from there is a friend lease. <laughs> I haven't been to a friend in a dog's age, you know. And we had talked about it. We had talked about it a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about the Jim Dandy Sundays. Yes, I, in fact, as soon as you mentioned Friendlies, I could hear Black Oak Arkansas in the back of my head going,
1: "Jim Dandy to the rescue!"
0: because that's because that's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> well, spoiler alert: I didn't have a Jim Dandy, but we go over there to Friendlies, and you would think, with the way this diner was like banging with people, that Friendlies would have been banging as well. I wasn't sure the place was open. Like, we pull in, and there was nobody in the parking lot at all. And then we're, like, looking at the window, and we see a body walk by inside. <laughs> and I was like, all right, they're either open or they're haunted, one or the other. <laughs> Isn't that sort of a red flag for you? Like, there's, there are no cars here. That's probably not yeah. a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, like, walk in trepidatiously, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, are, they, are they open? I don't know. So... We walk in and the woman's like two for lunch? And it was it was it was completely empty. There was nobody else except for me, my friend Kai, and this woman. And I assume somebody in the back you did, you cooking.
1: Did, you didn't say we were like, nah, we just want to wait here until the diner
0: calls us. <laughs> yeah. In an hour. Oh. So yeah, like I said, it was completely empty. It was it was disconcerting, like do they have food or are they going to have to call out or something? I'm going to call the diner for food. So it turns out that they don't do breakfast at that particular friendly. And they had literally just opened. It was like 1105 and they had literally just opened. That's why there was nobody there. Well, that's that's Uh, less of a red flag, I guess. Yeah, but it took me a long time to figure that out. Like days, like curiosity got me. I was like, I wonder... I wonder if they do breakfast there, and that's why it wasn't open. And I looked up, and yeah, sure enough, they opened at 11. So the question so. that I have, Bill, is yeah. were you driving
1: at this at this point? To, to, did you drive uh, no, up? No,
0: I wasn't. I drove up there, yep. and then we jumped in Kai's car to go to Friendlies. So does Kai like having a DeLorean with
1: a flux uh. capacitor that works? Because the only way I could imagine you getting to a Friendlies is if you went back in time like two years, because as I understand that company they are virtually extinct now all of the ones in new hampshire Uh, are gone
0: oh are they yeah um i remember looking it up after we did the jim dandy uh segment or the sunday segment and i remember looking to see are there any in business because i know there's one in dartmouth like around still you know near me but is it open i don't know i haven't been to friendlies in forever Back in the 90s, that was like our hangout, you know, this bottomless coffee. Right. But I haven't been in Friendly's in like forever. I got like a macaroni and cheese topped burger, which was okay. And I didn't get any ice cream because I was so put off by the fact that there was nobody there. A couple of people came in after us. Yep. But still, it was just like this weird... Valhalla oh, empty man. place. I, yeah. I
1: totally would have been all over. Like, oh, I'm a fribble too, and I'm Jim Dandy, and like,
0: <laughs> hook me up because I know, th- like, this may
1: be the last time I may walk out of this building and it just collapses into like space time, <laughs> you know. And if that happens, I want to be the last guy that walked out of there with like with a stomach full of strawberry
0: fribble. I was just waiting for some like old prospector to say, Did you go to friendlies? <laughs> that place has been closed for 30 years. <laughs> all right. So, before we get on with the show proper, I do have the very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bill. Kind of simple this time around. Okay. Feathers. Feathers on a bird. Birds of a feather, they flock together. If all birds were the same size, who would have the most feathers? So, like, which bird has the most feathers per square inch? Because obviously, like, a finch is going to have less feathers than an ostrich. But per square inch, which bird has the most feathers? Okay. Um, I think I understand the question. But I'll I'll, I'll wait till but the you're end. Are going to ask for a qualifier later? I,
1: I'm probably going <laughs> to ask for a qualifying question at the end, yes. Okay. All
0: right. All right. But this is going to be the week beginning, May the 29th, and it is your turn to start.
1: May 29th, 1919. Breakfast is improved considerably when a man named Charles Streit patents the automatic pop-up toaster. Huh. Before that, you had to either toast your bread like on a stove, which is no fun and takes more time, or you had to... Remember the old Pepperidge Farm commercial with the toaster with the two red-hot handles that you had to pull open to take the toast out?
0: Yeah, or that toaster kind of thing that... The one I think of is the one with uh, Elwood had in the Blues Brothers.
1: Yeah, right. The little toast rack that you put over the, the gas stove. Yeah. Dry white toast. <laughs> but the pop-up toaster is a... Super good innovation. So good, in fact, no one has improved on it since 1919. It still essentially functions the same way.
0: Couple of things. One, I saw a like TikTok video not all that long ago, and I laughed my ass off because I realized I am stupid. <laughs> the the woman in the video said, "How old were you when you figured out that the one to seven scale?" On a toaster is the number of minutes that the toast stays down and not some arbitrary scale of (laughs) toastiness. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, I was today years old. I'm So stupid. Figure that out now. Well,
1: to be fair, not every toaster has a, a numerical counter from warm bread to burned toast on that yep. scale there. I've had toasters in the past where it's a dial, but there are no numbers on the dial. It's just a, like a like the volume knob on a radio with a black yep. line that gets bigger as it goes along to suggest that it's gonna get darker, but it doesn't tell you how many minutes it's gonna be. It's about right. that dark. So so technically, yes, the, the toaster that I have now has a, a one to five, I
0: think is the numbers on it. Your range of toastiness. And here's that kind of question that we like to ask on the show. Jeff, on a scale from one to Canadian, how do you take your toast?
1: I take my toast a delicious golden brown.
0: So if uh, I was putting it in for the minutes,
1: it's four minutes.
0: Yeah. I, I'm a very light toasty kind of person, like just enough to make the outer edge, the outer layer, mm-hmm. like firm. So maybe a little so bit of brown so to it, like, but so yeah. You're
1: like, a, you're like a warm bread guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your, your toast is still floppy when you go to put it on the on the plate even though it's warm yeah
0: more or less yeah i I figured I've already cooked the bread I don't need to cook it again
1: see that's for me and, it, <laughs> it brings out a different flavor in the in the it does. in the bread
0: my father used to like burn that shit. like his toast would be black <laughs> like black and then he would like scrape off the dead embers yeah. and then eat the toast yeah
1: Generally, we don't get into the parents thing too too much here, but did your dad or your mom have a like a weird don't mix the peanut butter and jelly thing? There's a tie to toast in this that I still follow and think of my dad every time I make peanut butter and jelly toast or a peanut butter and jelly sandwich.
0: I'm going to say no. I don't think I was allowed to like make my own peanut butter and jelly, probably for the reason you're about to cite.
1: <laughs> my, my dad required a different knife for each substance, so you couldn't uh-huh. use the same knife. To scoop out peanut butter and spread it as you used for to take out jelly and spread it. If he spotted cross-contamination right. between the two, he'd throw them away. <laughs> and he was like, absolutely not. I don't know how you can even imagine eating that. It's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. It's like, I just made a peanut butter jelly sandwich, and I used one butter knife, Dad. And he would be, and, and that's I, it. You're out of the
0: family. Yeah. yeah. But it's like they're, they're mixed together in my mouth and in my belly. And on, and it, <laughs> and on my two <laughs> pieces of bread up. that I just put together. Like, what, you know, what is right. that? <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> All right. So moving on to May the 30th. May the 30th, 1906. Hershey Park, founded by Milton S. Hershey, uh, was opened. It was originally for the exclusive use of his employees that's kind of awesome. Like my work, we got hot dogs a couple of days ago. That was nice. This guy (laughs) builds an entire amusement park for his employees. Man, what a benefits package. He probably didn't charge
1: them too much to get in either. (laughs) Back when we were kids, Bill, we had Lincoln Park near us, right? That was in Dartmouth. Yeah, And I have a a couple of books about the history of Lincoln Park and that was originally uh, opened by a a collaboration of mill owners in New Bedford wanted a place oh, yeah. where the employees of those mills could go on their day off to relax with their family and sort of recuperate so they could come back and work, you know, 80 hours a week at the mill. And they huh. they funded the initial build of the park there. And it wasn't long before they, like, established a bus line to take people. And I'm sure
0: that... It wasn't even a bus. It was the trolley it was line, a... right? Yep. So, yeah, I remember the trolley tracks in front of the the park. Existing, yeah, in front of the ballroom,
1: right, in the roller skating rink. That's where they were.
0: Yeah, 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 I remember that too. Well, I'm I'm going to
1: guess that that's the same sort of thing that Hershey was doing. One, if you want to keep people from, going to say this, and here's our standard disclaimer: We're not talking about politics. We're talking about history, right? But if you don't want your workforce to unionize, you got to give them things to make them happy, and giving them an amusement park to go and play in on their day off or their weekend off in 1906 is a way to help keep them from becoming a union where they're going to demand more money, more time off, better benefits, et cetera, shorter workday. And for a long time, that works. But eventually, you start running out of money. So you either have to let other people come into the park to experience the wonder that is the Hershey Park, or Mm -hmm. you have to start charging the employees who go there to go. What they did at Hershey Park was they ended up opening it up to the public. It's still operating today.
0: Yeah, my friends Marissa and Brianna went down there. I think two years ago. It was. It had to be still during like pandemic times because I remember seeing pictures of them masked up. So it survived the the pandemic. I know mm-hmm. that. So that's good. A lot of those mom and pop places. Uh, th- this there used to be so many, and they're all gone now. Right. They either closed down or they got bought up by Six Flags. But like uh, around here, we used to have Lincoln Park, and there was Rocky Point. Those are both gone. There was Whalem Park in Whalem, Mass. Yep, that one's gone.
1: We still have Canopy Uh, Lake Park here in New Hampshire. Yep, Canopy Lake is still
0: there. And then Riverside got absorbed by by Six six Flags. flags. Six Flags. A long time ago, probably like 20, 25 years ago. But yeah, there used to be so many, but because the large amusement parks like Disney and Universal became more accessible, even though they're far away. Right. Right. They just became more of a thing to do and the mom and pop things just kind of died out.
1: There's also the question of, like, like, at least in New England, where these parks were in Mass and, and parts of New Hampshire and even upstate New York, I would think, is they tend yeah. to be tied to industrial towns. And when the industrial base changes and the jobs that support those towns and those activities go to another part of the country first or to another country and yeah. the economy alters, there aren't enough people with disposable income. To go to the park to keep the park open which is what happened with lincoln park lincoln park collapsed because it couldn't maintain operating costs because no one had the money to go there right because all of the mills that supported it with jobs in new bedford closed in the 1980s
0: i remember too it like i just got my driver's license and i was like hot dog i'm gonna be able to go to lincoln park anytime i want and i got one summer out of it and that was so it. that was same thing with me i'll tell you a yep. really fast funny story the first
1: week I had my driver's license, I went to Lincoln Park for fireworks night and I got stuck in the parking lot with my Chevy Monza. And I was so afraid that I wasn't going to be home at curfew, I paid to go back into the park because I was stuck in traffic. So I could use a payphone to call my dad and tell him, I'm, I'm like, I, there's no way I can get out of this parking lot. Dad, I can't be home at 10. It's almost 10 o'clock now. And he's like, just don't worry about it. <laughs> but I was <laughs> petrified that he was going to like be mad at me or take my car away or whatever. uh, uh, uh. And yeah, I had one, I got one trip to, to Lincoln Park before it was gone.
0: All right, uh, let's go on to the 31st. May 31st, 1678, Bill. I remember it well.
1: The legend of Lady Godiva's famous nude ride on the back of a horse through Coventry Market takes place on allegedly on this day in 1678. Okay. Whether or not that is a a apocryphal story or not is is unknown. Some people say that it did happen. Some say, eh, Lady Godiva's not even a real person. But the gist of it is she had a proclamation sent out that said, I'm going to ride through the market. Nobody look at me. Nobody could look at her. as she rode through with no clothes on.
0: Now, this was like a protest, too, wasn't it? It wasn't just like, hey, guys, I'm going to do this thing. Don't look. There was a method to her madness, wasn't there? Yeah,
1: it was a tax protest.
0: Okay. And she said that she would ride through
1: as a way to... Like, get her husband to reduce the taxes in the town. So, this was a protest thing. Huh. It's also, as you told me,
0: yep where the
1: legend of the Peeping Toms comes from that I had never known.
0: Yeah, the term Peeping Tom comes from this legendary ride. In order to lower the taxes, her husband kind of like dared her to ride naked through the town. Right. And she was like, I'm on it. And, you know, these were much different times. I mean, now, you know, I'll, I'd do it for 10 bucks. Right. Um,
1: five dollars off my property, I've got to get my shirt off. Why? why, why where yeah. do you need
0: me to go? <laughs> yeah, Lady Godiva has her own, <laughs> like OnlyFans now. But at any rate, she said that she would do the naked ride, but the stipulation was all the people in town had to stay in their houses and shut their blinds and shutters so that they wouldn't see. Like I guess she didn't want any witnesses or whatever. Then allegedly there was a young man, a young as- aspiring young man named Tom. Who managed to look out through the blinds while she was doing her her business, ah. and that's yeah, that's where the phrase "peeping tom" came from. And legend also has it that he was stricken blind whenever he saw her naked visage. I wa- and I wonder if that means that she was stricken blind by her beauty,
1: or the opposite? He was str- <laughs> stricken blind because she was horrifically unattractive. Considering it is. 1670-something, I'm going to guess there may be leeches and lesions and all kinds of uh, you know skin problems and other things that are
0: potentially visible. I'm more picturing like the hillbilly girl from like the old Woody Woodpecker cartoons. Oh,
1: man!
0: <laughs> well, she already had
1: one, right? She was married to the Earl of Mercia. But <laughs> somebody calls out from out
0: the window, oh, which one's the horse? <laughs> 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 all right, moving on. <laughs> Moving on to the next day, June the 1st, 1843. It snows in Buffalo and Rochester, New York, and also in Cleveland, Ohio. Now you're like, yeah, so? But also, this is June the 1st. Oh, that's a (laughs) weird day for snow. Yeah, that's pretty late, pretty late in the year. This year, 2023, you know, I was running the heat in my house in the morning Right up until the end of April. You know, it would right. still be a little chilly in the house. But we didn't have snow. No. It's going to be really cold for snow. I, uh, 32 degrees if I, if I remember right, my right. science Right, 32
1: degrees are below. It, so the ice melts, right? I I, keep, yep. I joke. I've joked since I moved to New Hampshire that, you know, we have a potential for snow right up until midway through the Memorial Day cookout. Right. But <laughs> I don't put the snow shovel away until it's time to fire up the grill.
0: <laughs> I keep them in the same place in the garage. Right. One just exactly. swaps out positions with yep. the other. Yeah. Just this week as we are recording, where I stay down in Melbourne, Florida. Now, for those who don't have a map of Florida in their mind, Melbourne is about halfway down the coast. You're in a pretty warm area of Florida. And you know, they don't see snow. No. Like ever. But you know what they saw this week? <laughs> they hail. Big ass freaking hailstones like golf ball size hail. And my friend that lives down there showed me pictures. Of his front lawn covered in ice and hail. It looked like a winter day Uh, up here in New England. Yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah, the conditions for hail are are different. We we sometimes here in New Hampshire get hail in in the summertime too, depending on which thunderstorm happens to be rolling through on which day. Yeah. Yeah, to get real actual snow in June is... That's one of those, like, maybe I should go to
0: church more type days. <laughs> I'm not sure. If the, all right, maybe, you know what? Maybe there is something to this God kind of stuff. My cousins that live in Las Vegas during, in the 70s, they had gotten, like, a a light snow, mm-hmm. like, you know, what we call a dusting up here. Right. Uh, a dusting of snow. And I remember them sending pictures of them being, like, all excited and stuff. Oh, like, hooray. Yeah, I'm over it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, the thing is, like, when it snows in Florida... The best part about snow r- rare times that it gets below freezing at night in Florida is it rains iguanas out of the trees because they all freeze. Their ambient going to temperatures 32 degrees and they just drop out of the trees onto people's driveways and stuff.
0: Low in the 30s with a slight chance of iguana. All right, let's go on to the second.
1: June 2nd, 1988, Consumer Reports, America's premier magazine of complaining about things that are good or bad, usually bad. Uh, calls for ban on an automobile called the Suzuki Samurai, which was an imported Suzuki that was sort of a super smallish Jeep. Yep. Because they tended to, what's the phrase, roll over and kill everybody inside if you took a sharp (laughs) turn. The Japanese name of this vehicle is the Jimny, and they still sell it all over the world, but they stopped selling Uh it here in the United States in like 1989 or 1990. And replaced it with yep. a different vehicle, also sold around the world, was the Jimny. But the Samurai really hurt Suzuki's reputation in the automobile market here because they were just starting to get established, and the Samurai was hellaciously popular. They sold a million. Yeah, of those I'm,
0: I'm looking at a bunch of pictures of them now. I mean, they're fairly attractive vehicles, as you know, as far as that like standard, you know, telltale Jeep kind of shape and size and all that. But, yeah, they weren't balanced very well. They were very top-heavy. Yeah. So if you took a turn at, like, 35 miles an hour, you're, like, in a ditch somewhere. The things would just flip and roll right over.
1: And I, I think the way that they tested them... I remember watching the the film footage that Consumer Reports shot of these at the time because it made, like anything else, it made the news, right? And they yeah. had they had put these sort of, like, not pontoons, but sort of arms off the side of the vehicle with a wheel on it so that if it started to roll, it would catch and not roll over and kill the test driver. And yeah. they would go 35 miles an hour and jerk the wheel really hard to the right. And it would it would come up on two wheels and then boom, bang on that other, other wheel and then sort of bang back down and it would wiggle into like a slalom pattern until the guy got control of the vehicle again and then he would turn the other way and it would do the same thing. The problem with them was, in setting it up for that test, it exacerbated the problem because it moved the weight out to the sides right you know and yeah. two here for the people that own them who really exacerbated the problem is they were really easy to put lift kits on to make them even taller which is like yes they should have called them lot- like the family smash special because <laughs> they were they were looking at like they were rolling over on, typically on a highway entry or exit ramp. That's where they would have their real big problems. I'm
0: looking at one that's got such a lift kibbit on it now, I could see it roll over, pulling out of a drive-thru if, t- if you weren't <laughs> too careful. Right. As,
1: you know, we Americans and our reverence for the automobile, we are not exactly the most careful with the way that we drive them. So, no. like anyone else, if, you know, Suzuki's initial fix was the standard issue like put the sticker on the dashboard that says don't jerk the wheel to the right or left that'll fix everything and because we're america
0: it's like don't you gonna tell me i can't take a hard right hitter <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then roll 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 everybody is dead
0: they got kind of swapped out a couple of years later in the 90s with the uh suzuki sidekick, sidekick.
1: Yeah. yeah the suzuki sidekick and and that was also rebranded and sold as the geo tracker in the United States, because GM had a deal with Suzuki uh, at the time.
0: Somebody I worked with had a Suzuki sidekick, and it was purple. Mm -hmm. And I just remember that they had an incident on the Fayhaven Bridge, which you're going to get that reference. uh, Listeners might not. The Fayhaven Bridge is an old bridge, and the majority of it is steel grating. Yes. Which can get slippery in the rain.
1: Indeed it can.
0: And she spun out and she was describing it to me. She was like, it was really strange because for a split second, I was staring at the person behind me. And then I was staring at the car in front of me again.
1: <laughs> and the, and again, those are cars had such a such a
0: small wheelbase that that, yep.
1: that kind of spin isn't unusual. So
0: June the 3rd, 1976, the song Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen is certified gold. Hmm. You know that and a cup of coffee gets you a cup of coffee. A gold single is not really that big of a, a deal. That's five hundred thousand uh, copies. Right. But the reason why we bring it up is that this song, for better or for worse, doesn't go away. It's had more lives than a, than than something with a lot of lives. Right. Uh, <laughs> than an atomic cat or something. Um, yeah. 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 So it came out. You know, in you know seventy five, seventy six, somewhere around there. Goes gold, gold for the first time. And then, you know, it did its little run. And then I remember being in a record store and fairly losing my mind because I didn't want to say anything. But there was these two kids in the store. And, you know, the Wayne's World movie had come out and he was like, hey, did you hear that new song by Queen Bohemian Rhapsody? (laughs) Uh And Freddie Mercury was already dead at that point. It's like, is that a new song, you son of a bitch? You musical atheist? In
1: 1976 or 77, my dad bought A Night at the Opera, which is the record that that song is on. And he also bought A Day at the Races. A Day at the Races is the one with that, I can't remember which one, the one with the white cover.
0: That's the Night at the Opera. Um, I'm not sure. Those are also Marx Brothers movies, so I'm confused. Well,
1: again, that's the, the, that's the, it's queen for you, right? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure it's on a night at the opera. Even when I was like eight years old and listening to that record, the whole record is very good. But yeah. even then, among those two records, Bohemian Rhapsody stood out even then. Even without my dad saying like this song is something special, I already recognized then that it was the song is something special. It has different timing changes, it uses different styles, it borrows from opera. It does all of these things that I had never heard in my life before, right? And it was one of those pieces of music that is an eye-opening, super eye-opening piece of music. I just started to play violin as a kid, uh-huh. and to hear like this operatic style, this very classical style, this uh, story song that then has this this like strange ending and then a hard rock like really hard rock ending that's almost metal was just amazing. Yeah. It's still, I still love the song and I hear it every single time I listen to the radio. It's played at
0: least once a day
1: on the stations that I listen to.
0: Yeah, it's got legs. It's got death on two legs for that matter. Right? Um, it had another resurgence because of the, uh, the Queen biopic of the same name and I remember like this young kid that i work with at the renaissance fair like asking me hey do you like queen and be getting mad at him because i've been a queen fan my entire life and he's just jumping on board now and it's like listen you little and then then i had to calm myself down right right. another thing about this song is (laughs) i remember whenever wayne's world came out i had friends that were still in high school and i guess they were playing hangman (laughs) this this is one of those stories Uh i guess they were playing hangman And the kid chose Bohemian Rhapsody as his, like, word for you to guess. Yeah. But he wrote (laughs) Bohemian Rap City. (laughs) Like a city of rap?
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, he, he didn't get it. Yep. Nope. All right,
1: and wrap up the week. June 4th, 1937. The owner of the Humpty Dumpty grocery store in Oklahoma City, a guy named Sylvan Goldman, comes up with the idea to create a grocery carriage that people can push around the store and fill with groceries. So the carriage that we know today at the grocery store was invented in 1937. The carts, which were viewed with skepticism by shoppers at first, took a long time to become comfortable for the shoppers because, one, it looked a lot like a baby carriage, and, Uh two, I'm going to just put this out there because I don't know that it's true or not, but I'm going to guess that it may be. Is that yep. people started buying a surprisingly large amount more of groceries than they were before oh. because having to carry them around, you have weight that you have to manage, and when you're putting things in a cart with wheels on it, you don't.
0: Yeah. Okay. Because you're saying like people were reluctant to use it at first. And I'm like, what? Yep. Man, I know we hate change in this country, but like life without a shopping cart, I'd lose my my ever loving mind. I love. I look forward to it. <laughs> so Goldman, for his good idea, once it finally took off,
1: and it took off, he... Once he got legs, once he got wheels, uh, he, yeah. he, got, he got royalties from all the shopping carts that were sold in the United States. I think he, oh, wow. their family probably still gets royalties. And he invented the nesting carts. So we can sort of jam them together and push them in a big line to get them yes. back into the store. Like, that's all his innovation. <laughs> so I'm sure he stopped managing the... Humpty Dumpty grocery store. Not long after that, probably a couple of years later, and went directly yeah. into the the shopping cart business. I also love shopping carts, and I've always had them. There were there were times when my my son was a little little kid, where we didn't have a lot of money, and I needed something to do for a couple of hours to get him out of you know Cindy's hair and and find yeah. something to do that where it was cool, and we would go to the Shaw's supermarket here in town, where they had shopping carts that had like a race car front. Yes, And I would s- stick them in the race car front and I would walk back and forth up and down the aisles for an hour. And then buy a, a like a, a pint of half and half. And that would
0: calm them down and like relax everybody. And I remember being a kid and there was no better thrill in the world than standing up on the back and holding on to it. And then, I don't know, somebody... Screwed up somewhere and somebody got hurt really bad and they don't allow kids to do that anymore. But wow, that was like my favorite thing when I was a kid. Let's uh let's go on to the celebrity birthdays. Uh, May the 29th, 1956, LaToya Jackson. Oh. And you got to just consider what it takes to be considered the weird one in, the, <laughs> in that family.
1: Right. I don't know that she ever put music out. Did she ever put music Yeah, out? she
0: actually did, yeah. No, she has a few albums.
1: Okay. I remember her more than anything else for criticizing her brother Michael when he yep. was going through his legal problems in the last couple of years that he was alive. And then when he passed away, she just stopped. She stopped coming out to sort of warn people about him or talk about him and just disappeared.
0: She's got about six or seven albums uh, going back as early as 1980. mm so, like, right around the same time as, you know, Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. Right. Uh, she has a live album, which everybody needs, which for some reason has Edgar Winter on it. I need <laughs> Co- to hear this album. Co- of course album. it does. They, got, they must break into Frankenstein. <laughs> <week> <laughs> the show. I was going to say, I can already hear...
1: Sorry about that. Previous record.
0: Completely overshadowed by the rest of her family. I mean... Michael Jackson, obviously, and then Janet Jackson, who's the youngest. She's younger than LaJoya. Yeah, yep. yeah, just really outshined her. Uh, she tried her best. She tried her best. She tried everything. I most recently saw her on The Masked Singer. Okay. And when they unmasked her, people still didn't know who she was. <laughs> oh, well, that's oh, that's not good. That's not even true. That's a really mean thing to say. I just oh. wanted to make the joke.
1: <laughs> that's, that's All right.
0: Moving on. May thirtieth,
1: nineteen seventy-four, sort of soul, modern soul, and pop singer CeeLo Green, real name is Thomas Calloway. Uh, came to fame in a band called the Goody Mob, which was uh there was a really short time where there was an alternative style of like hip hop and soul that sort of fused together and was popular uh-huh. on college radio. It was like ninety four, ninety-five. And then it disappeared. He went solo. Danger Mouse went solo. A couple of other people from that group went solo. And got his career going because he has a really distinctive and powerful voice. Probably best known for the song Crazy, which you'll still hear everywhere you go. If you're out in public, whenever there's a place that plays music, you'll hear Crazy. I only
0: know him from the other single, which uh, Expletive deleted you. Forget you. uh, Which... Yeah, which got yeah got retooled to Forget You for radio play. Right. But Forget You is no fun. It is not and, as much uh, fun, for sure. And also, they hired him as a musical performer for, it was either a SummerSlam or a WrestleMania. It was one of the big pay-per-views for the WWE. Mm-hmm. And the show went long. But part of the contract with CeeLo Green is he gets to perform. You know, because yep. they paid him for it. Right. So they actually had to cut... Like, one match, sure, and eliminate another match altogether just to get, so get CeeLo Green on there. And all the wrestling fans are like, we don't give two monkeys about <laughs> CeeLo Green. Get him out of here. We want to see right. wrestling matches. That's what we bought tickets for.
1: There's a couple of videos of, of him playing live with Danger Mouse from, like I don't want to say it was like 2010 or so, where he does a really good version of Radiohead's Reckoner. I don't know if anybody's interested in that song, but it's a great version of that. That's
0: worth it's I worth got, seeking you out. Yeah, ever played with Egg and Winter?
1: I don't think I don't, so. I don't know if you ever played with Egg and Winter. I will say though that he and the rest of the Goody Mob had a cameo in the movie Mystery Men. Oh, as one of the gangs that Casanova Frankenstein has under his control when he's released mm. from jail,
0: and their name is the No Goody Mob in that movie. <laughs> 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 All right. Moving on to May the 31st, 1961, American actress Leah Thompson. Oh, yeah. Probably best known as the love interest of a duck in the movie How Would the Duck. Or the love interest of a time
1: traveler who turns out to be her son in Back to the Future.
0: Yes, uh, Marty McFly's Marty McFly's mom. mom. In Back to the Future. Uh, she did quite a bit. Never really got that huge, you know, star pop that you would think. She never was as famous as the rest of the cast of Back to the Future. Right. You know, but she did all right for herself. She had that TV show that was popular for a while there, Caroline in the City. Right. I think it was called. Yep. She was the Molly Ringwald fill-in for uh, the Some Kind of Wonderful. Oh, my God. That's probably my favorite John Hughes movie. Yeah. That movie's fantastic. Yeah. Yep. That would be a completely different movie in 2023. But, no, that's a great movie. Yeah. I that was even John Hughes. Yep. She was in a movie, like, TV series to movie version of Beverly Hillbillies, remember? God,
1: I remember that coming out with Ernest P. Worrell and uh, Diedrich Bader. right? Wasn't in, was in that? Yeah. Adjet- yeah, That. I'm sure my dad watched that movie a thousand times and thought it was hilarious, and I never made it through five minutes of it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All
1: right, moving on to the first. June 1st, 1937, American actor Morgan Freeman, the man everyone wants to narrate their Obituary, apparently, uh, is born. and Probably best known as God in Bruce Almighty. I- I'm going to put this out there. There are a few actors that have been popular that I have known of since I've been old enough to know that human beings are things. And Morgan uh-huh. Freeman is one of them. Because he was on children's programming just as I was becoming a human being. He started on The Electric Company as a character named Easy Reader who was a yes. fixture in my child, my early childhood, where The Electric Company and Sesame Street were both humongous parts of the TV that I was watching. And through him, I started to learn a love of reading. So his easy-reader character is one of the reasons that I am who I am today, as weird as that sounds.
0: The first live-action, on-screen depiction of Spider-Man... Was on the electric company, and Morgan Freeman is the one that used to narrate it. Right. As a matter of fact, I have in my cellar a Spider Man vinyl from the electric company that I bought at a yard sale somewhere, and all the stories are narrated by Morgan Freeman. Nice. And uh, I guess we should probably mention that he was in the Shawshank Redemption, which is probably, you know, rated yes. as one of the best movies ever made. He's got a very, a very long and storied uh, career, yes. and all, and all good. Oh it's yeah, not like he does crap movies. Yeah, he, it's not not gonna, like he was a Beverly Hillbillies.
1: You're not gonna, <laughs> yeah, he's with Beverly Hillbillies, and you're probably not gonna see him in like Carnosaur three. He's always entertaining when you get the opportunity to see him.
0: He does like light like
1: comedies and caper movies
0: now. All right, moving on to June the second, nineteen forty-one, British drummer from the Rolling Stones, Charlie Watts.
1: Ah, the man who puts debonair into the Stones' uh, Brown Sugar. I always thought Charlie Watts was really, was like really the coolest guy in the band because he yeah. was the one who looked like he had his stuff together where all the other ones were either dancing around in sailor suits and bubbles or or whatever. He looked like the one who was carefully like making sure that the band showed up on time for their shows and things,
0: which I think he actually was. Yeah, he was. he was. Um, He was also a graphic designer. I didn't know that until like, Just before we put the show together. Yeah, he was a graphic designer and he used to like do like the early album covers. Mm. He was a a very talented artist. One of my favorite stories with Charlie Watts is Mick Jagger got stupid drunk, (laughs) S face drunk one day, and he went down the hallway of the hotel that they were staying at and he starts banging on the door of Charlie Watts' room. And he's like, where's my little drummer boy? Where's my little drummer boy? And Charlie Watts just opens the door and just <laughs> ham sandwiches Mick Jagger right in the mouth, just bang, and knocks him out cold.
1: <laughs> I believe the quote that he said is like, don't ever call me your drummer. You're my f-ing singer. <laughs> Yes,
0: I'm not your drummer. You're my singer. Right. (laughs) I like watching old videos of the concerts and stuff, where you see Charlie Watts and Bill uh, Wyman Mm kind of like near, you know, playing near each other, just watching Mick Jagger and trying not to laugh, but they are right. Right. (laughs) He's a good drummer too. Uh, Yeah, that's the thing. Like uh, people will criticize him because his his beats were fairly, you know, standard. Yep. But he was also very good. Mm. Like, you wouldn't think he was as good as he was until you see him go to town. Right. All right. Moving on. June 3rd, 1947.
1: Special effects artist and supervisor John Dykstra, whose name you might not know. But if you have seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, Silent Running, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, Soylent Green,
0: all of those. You know who definitely knows who he is? Leah Thompson, because he did the special effects, effects for yes. *Howard the Duck* as well.
1: Howard the Duck, yeah, he was—he was. I think he was president of Industrial Light and Magic, and got that job because he and Lucas worked together on all of the special effects innovations for *Star Wars*. And they invented yep. a bunch of equipment to shoot parts of that film that had never existed yep. before. That he helped develop and build. Dykstra's work still holds up today. If you watch 2001, or you watch *Silent Running*, or you watch even the original *Star Wars*. You will not find yourself wondering how, like, oh my gosh, you know, how do they do this? It's it's so engrossing and so visually accurate, yes, that
0: absolutely you can immediately suspend disbelief. Like you watch that Snow Walker sequence, and with the exception of one scene where, like, the Snow Walker falls forward, you can kind of see it's in miniature, right? But the majority of that. Snow Walker sequence. You'd swear those things are real. Yeah. Same with the, you know,
1: the X Wing attack on the Death Star is the one that I immediately think of and how dynamic that whole sequence is. That's all John Dykstra. That's all him. God love him. Yep.
0: All right. Now we're going to wrap up the week on June the 4th, 1956. American actor Keith David. Yeah. Probably best known for playing himself in the Saints Row. Video game series. No,
1: no, no. He's probably best known for his uh, his starring role in Roadhouse, where he looks at the camera and says, Whiskey's running low, and then is never
0: seen again in the film. <laughs> I like Keith David. He's just like a, like a cool guy. Yeah. Like every role he's in, he's just this like smooth man, you know? I think a lot of people are going to remember him from They Live. Yep. With John Carpenter, he's the guy that has the eight-minute-long fight scene with Roddy Piper. Not putting on the glasses. Put on the glasses! Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) It just goes on and on and on and on. (laughs) I know him from a very, very f***ed-up movie called Requiem for a Dream, where he plays Big Jim, a drug dealer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I
1: know him from The Thing where he played Childs. Yep. Where'd you go, Childs? I saw Blair. And
0: modern Disney-files are going to know him as Dr. Falcier from the Princess and the Frog movie.
1: Right. Yes, yes. I know
0: all about it. I know all about it because I play a voodoo priest at the haunted house, and people come up to me and all the time, and they tell me all about Dr. Falcier. and I was like, I, I don't watch <laughs> Disney movies, guys. <laughs> all right, guys, guys, get ready. Put your fingers in your ears because... This cage has been locked for almost three years, and I am pulling the pin out of it. It's time, guys. The worst song ever. For months and years, dear listeners. Mm. Since we started my the friend, show. Yeah. My friend Jeff over here has been saying, I know what we should do for worst song ever. <laughs>
1: And I was like, "What?" He goes,
0: "We should do Sublime." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. What song?" He goes, "All of them." Oh, no, Sublime. <laughs> yeah, just Sublime. I understand that Sublime has a, I will put it this way: I understand, but I don't understand that Sublime has a enormous and rabid fan base, even though they have a, a, a an odd story that we will tell and get to in a second. But if we're gonna pick a song. I'm going to go with probably their best well known song and the one that I like the least. Uh, this is what I've got. Is what I got. All right, I'm pulling the pin out of the cage. Here we are. <laughs> Mr. McLarge-Huge, tell us all about Sublime. <laughs> all right, let me preface this first
1: by saying, yep. I am not a fan of third wave ska. It's not a style of music I would seek out to listen to. I heard it when it mm-hmm. was new, when No Doubt was new, when Sublime ultimately was newish. And it just isn't something that I enjoy. There, that's my criticism of the music itself because I don't have any other ones. Where I have my reasons for wanting Sublime to be in the worst song ever as a grouping is people who like Sublime and want to talk with me about music and say, oh, you must like Sublime. And I go, actually, please listen to the last two minutes of this show where I explain I don't like listen to third wave ska. It's not a type of music that I get much enjoyment from. And they say, but don't you like this song? You don't like this, and then they play me the five songs that are the singles off of the third record that Sublime <laughs> put out that are the same five bloody songs that are on the radio still all the time on rock and roll radio. So it's what I got: Santeria. Two Joints. I can't remember. I can't remember the other two. Date Rape.
0: That's um, from the previous record. Yeah, and then uh, Wrong Way. Which Wrong is Way. Probably yes. the only song from them that I can actually stomach. But Wrong Way is kind of like Ska by Numbers. Literally, that could have been anybody's song. Right. That doesn't stand out as a sublime song. That could have been anybody's song. I actually do like Third Wave Ska. I've been to see Real Big Fish a number of times. I don't particularly mind Goldfinger, even though I think I only own one album from them. They were a lot of fun to watch during the pandemic. They put out a a lot of uh, quarantine kind of style videos. Right say ferris was another great band from that era i do like third wave ska and the reason why i like it is because it's fun and that's why i never dug sublime because that's what's missing from them they're not fun yeah they're very dreary yeah like all their songs about like bad neighborhoods in california it's like kind of like comparing Digital Underground to, like, the Wu-Tang Clan. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, Digital Underground was fun, and Wu-Tang Clan was kind of dark. And, yes. you know, Third Wave Ska, I'm looking for fun music. I'm not looking for, you know, the dregs of society. When I talk with people who love Sublime,
1: like, they love Sublime. And they tend to fall into yeah. the same category of people who love Weezer. Remember when we talked about Weezer a few weeks back? Yes, we Same, same audience profile. Imagine they're all in the same middle school. It's eighth grade. It might be the same people. It's no, it's not though. Okay. Here's the way that it breaks down. All the Weezer kids are the kids that are playing Dungeons and Dragons and using early computer or using computers to start to surf the internet in the 1990s, right? Yeah. That's the Weezer kids. And then there's the kids who go off to high school to be like the Stoner class. That's the Sublime kids. Ah. Uh. I'm not saying that there's a bad thing between either of them. They just break right. out that way. That's my impression of them. And it's around the same time period. Like, well, I was in eighth grade in 1996. That's why I loved, I like listened to this record until I couldn't stand it anymore. And all the goth kids, the goth kids had My Chemical Romance. So, like, there's those three stratifications of music. There's three different types of audiences that go with them. And the three different fandoms that are so, like, into it. What makes Sublime different is that the lead singer died just as their third album came out with all the singles on it that are really well known.
0: Right. And I mean, going back to that whole, Oh, I was in high school kind of a thing. You could slap that label on us too, because if somebody says to me, pick out your three favorite Iron Maiden albums, they're going to be the ones that came out when I was in high school. You know, but going back to sublime. Yeah. Our friend over here, Bradley Noel, who was, you know, the principal songwriter, you know, the guitar player and singer for sublime. They had put out two records prior to the the self-titled one. The self-titled one was like a major label release. The other two albums, Ja Won't Pay the Bills, and f- uh, I think the other one was like 40 Ounces yeah, to Freedom. 40 Ounces yeah. to Freedom. And there was another album called Robin the Hood those albums were, you know, those were minor label things. Those are just, you know, locally distributed. Mm-hmm. I think they sold like thirty thousand copies, which is a lot for a local band.
1: They're a band that like built a reputation for live shows and being fun at live shows. Like the other band that we talked about, that was in the new metal style. I don't know how many months ago that was. That did the same thing. It generated a ton of interest through its live shows, yeah. and then it started to sell records after that. Once it had established right. an audience, then you would buy it.
0: Yeah, so prior to the self-titled album, they were just basically a very glorified local band. Although I think they did some recording over at Willie Nelson's studio in Texas, and the reason why they recorded over there is, see, Bradley Knoll got super into like reggae and stuff like that whenever he was like basically living on a boat with his father uh, for about a year, right? And uh, they, you know, they went to the, you know. Uh, a fishing trip basically to the Virgin Islands. And like I said, he was on a boat for like a year. Mm -hmm. So you could turn it on to like reggae when he was like 10, 11, a lot of his musical influences had a lot of habits, shall we say some substance habits. (laughs) He decided that that was like his best course of action. So he began drinking heavily and taking otherwise recreational pharmaceuticals, shall we say? Right. So he could be like his idols and, Anybody that's had a health class in high school will tell you that is a horrible idea. That <laughs> right. is a bad business model. Yeah, it's it's like not reading the and biography th- of these people to the
1: end. You got to finish the yeah. book, Bradley. You got to finish. You got to yeah. read the last couple of chapters.
0: You know, unfortunately for uh, music fans outside of the hosts of the Twibley podcast, our friend Bradley Knoll didn't live long enough to see even the release of their major label album, uh, Sublime. Uh, he died from an overdose. Yeah, in a hotel room. I think about two months before it was released. Right, heroin sucks uh, for yeah. you, and it ruins
1: lives and the lives of your family. So don't do it. Thank you. Yeah, you know, partnership for drug free America.
0: There's a lot of speculation about like what could have been. You know, could they have been an absolutely enormous band going forward? It's very possible because they had like five singles that went you know crazy popular. On the other side of it. Maybe the notoriety of the fact that this guy, you know, checked out two months before it was released right. had, had a, a lot to do. Right. You I, know, had a lot to do with the uh, the promotion and production. Yeah.
1: Look at every wave of ska that has come and gone. Second wave of ska, look at the, the specials and Madness and Fishbone and some other bands. Like, they have a couple of records right. that come out, they're really popular for a short time, and then pfft, it disappears.
0: Yeah, the first wave of Ska was like in the 50s and all that. And then that second wave came out because there was this loft that everybody used to hang out at in London. And the DJ or the guy that lived there or whatever used to play all these reggae records, which inspired a lot of music at that time. Even the police's like first album has a lot of that kind of influence right, to ska-inspired it.
1: Ska-inspired dancehall style stuff. Yeah.
0: And then the third wave is the stuff that came out like in the 90s. Like I th- I mentioned, Real Big Fish and Goldfinger and No Doubt. No Doubt. Say Ferris. I think Less Than Jake is another one. No Effects. So let me, Even let me, let me,
1: so let me say this. Yes. Yeah. And of all those bands, the two that I hear on the radio are No Doubt and Sublime. None of the other ones I hear anywhere.
0: Right. And then, and No Doubt only like did the Ska thing or the two tone. For like their first or second albums, and that's it. They they dropped off, and they started doing, you know, straight dance music. And then Gwen Stefani just said, well, "I don't need the rest of you guys at all." Right. I mean, think about No Doubt and how much of it is ska—almost none of it.
1: Yeah, the the song that I hear on the radio is "Don't Don't Speak," "Don't Sleep," whatever that song is called. That's the only one. That's the one I hear. Yeah, for Sublime, I hear all—I hear the three big singles off of off of their third record, for, and I don't hear any of the others ever.
0: See, for the longest time, I thought they only had one album, you know, because it was the de- the that was I thought that was their debut album. I didn't realize that they had right. minor label releases before that. And for the longest time in this area, there and I think they still exist. There's a tribute band called Bad Fish mm-hmm. that are tribute to Sublime. I'm like, you're a tribute show for a band that has one album. It's like a <laughs> Sex Pistols tribute show. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. I went back today and I listened to all the singles that I could find. I watched the videos for all of them on on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And for all the complaints that I have uh, and wanting to to do Sublime as a group in the worst song ever is I thought that the videos that they did for Santeria and Wrong Way and what I I got, right? What I found interesting was like they're a three-piece band with only two guys left and they still happen to make videos that weren't maudlin and sad. Even though the music is less than fun, the videos tended to be more reverent and funny. I thought they were an appro like an appro. It's going to sound weird to say, but like an appropriate tribute to Bradley no- Noel. Yeah, because it didn't just focus on him being not there. He gets like ghostly right. cameos in their videos, but then there's a storyline with like cowboys and other foolishness. That in the Santeria video, that's kind of funny. Really well done, I thought.
0: Yeah, Sublime is a is a case of you know what could have been. You know, I don't like the music. I remember buying it on somebody's suggestion and throwing it out the window before I even finished the album. Sorry, don't litter, kids. It's bad for the environment. But, I, you know, obviously, I, I wish the guy could have had much more success, whether I like it or not. It's too bad. It's too bad. He was only 28 years old. Yeah, he's a good guitar player.
1: He was interesting to watch play.
0: He was excellent at playing music that I don't enjoy at all. All right. So, before we wrap up the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Uh-oh. What bird is my most fine feathered friend? Which bird has the most feathers per square inch?
1: All right. I think that the bird that has the most feathers per square inch is the emperor penguin.
0: I will accept that answer because the answer that I have over here is penguin. So, it's probably all penguins. Okay. And the Emperor emperor Penguin definitely is a penguin. I've seen them before. They're actually the penguin that you the think of, of when you think the of penguins. the king
1: of all penguins, those guys. They're
0: the emperors. The emperor's not <laughs> as forgiving as I am. <laughs> so ding, 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 one in a row. <sighs> Jeff gets the trivia question this week. Yay. Yeah, We'll have to try and stay on your, the animal
1: trivia questions then. Your, your prize
0: will be in the mail. All right. But that is going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. And Jeff, I will see you in 24 hours. Yeah. You're coming up to the reaction tomorrow. I'm
1: looking forward to it.
0: All right. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. A special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibley or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. You can find us or message us on Facebook or Instagram using twwbly. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And remember, Twibley is like candy. It's more fun when you share. What? No. Who writes this? That's not like candy at all.